Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Sometimes when you're reading a passage, you start thinking about real life examples. And one of those this past week when I was studying this passage was a man named Adoniram Judson. And he actually was a pretty intelligent guy. He became a missionary to Burma later in his life. But when he was three years old, his mother taught him to read in one week. In fact, to surprise his father, when he came home, she had him read a chapter out of the King James Bible. I struggle sometimes reading that just on my own, let alone a three-year-old. Anyways, he went to... Brown University when he was 16 years old. He skipped his freshman year, tested out of all of his classes. And back at that time, of course, Brown University started as a Baptist school. Did you know that? And it started to train um, pastors and uh, Christian leaders. And then now it's an Ivy League school. They probably, most students there probably don't even know that. But anyways, but he went there. But even at that time, there were a lot of uh, students going there that were um, deists, which basically they believe there's a God, but other than that, they don't believe God's involved in your life at all. And a lot of unbelievers went there. And so he started going to school there. And he had a friend named J- Jacob Ames, who was a deist. And he was a roommate. And he went from growing up in a Christian home to going to this Brown University and becoming a deist and rejecting the Lord. Which is interesting because people think that's a new thing now that happens. But it happened back then, too. This is... Uh, the early part of the um, 1800s. And he excelled, though, at Brown University. He, uh, what became the, his senior year, was the valedictorian. And uh, so he was pretty smart when it came to the higher education. But God actually had a different school that he had him in. It's called the School of Life. And God brought some different trials into his life. One of those happened to be he went to New York City and did what, again, a lot of people do today, where they go to the big city, you know, of L.A. and try to make it big, try to enjoy life in the big city. So he did that in New York City and found out it's usually pretty disappointing. And so when he was coming back home and after uh, telling his parents, you know, a couple of months previous to that, that he had rejected the Lord, he was coming back home and he decided to stop by his uncle's house and he went into his uncle's home there. Of course, they didn't have cell phones back then to say, hey, I'm on my way. And when he showed up, there was actually a young preacher that was house sitting for him. And he stayed the night at this, his uncle's house and this, this man again, went through the gospel. But it was different because this young man, this young pastor was sharing his passion, his love for Jesus Christ. And Adoniram Judson was pretty shaken by that. But of course, he was smart. He was smarter than all these, you know, Christians, and this, especially this young guy. And, and Adoniram Judson this time is probably about 21 years old. And then he gets on his horse and he travels to an inn and traveled all day and it was raining and it was late at night and goes in this inn and he finds out that that uh, the inn's full and there's nowhere for him to stay and if he went back out in the weather he might get sick or might get robbed so he asked this innkeeper i mean i just want to stay somewhere i mean is there, can i sleep on the floor right here and he said no but he said there is a room and he probably some of you know the story there's a room and there's it's empty um, except for there's a man on the other side in the back of the room that's dying. So we can put a sheet up and you can sleep on one side of the room. And this guy can be on the other side of the room. 
And he thought, I'm so tired. I don't know, Judson's like, I'm so tired. I don't, I'll sleep through anything. And so sure enough, he went to that room and the sheet went up and the man that was dying on the other side of the room, and he couldn't sleep at all. Not only because this man was groaning, but something was happening. He kept hearing this man and start thinking to him, he started thinking to himself, what's going on with this man? Is he going to live the night? What does he believe? The next morning, he uh, finally went to sleep about four o'clock in the morning. And next morning, he got up and went and sat in front of the fire. And there's the innkeeper right there. And he turned to the innkeeper and he said, what, what happened to that man last night that was groaning all night? Did, and he said, well, he died in his sleep. And I don't know, I said, oh, wow, well, who was he? And he said, well, he was a young man from Brown University. And he went, wow, really? Well, well, what was his name? Well, his name was Jacob Ames. And he was shocked. That was his friend. And he was in such shock, he sat in front of that fire for hours, considering the fact that his friend was a deist without Christ. And then he started going through all he learned growing up, the scriptures that his mom and his dad taught him through his life. And he was sitting in that inn and he was in school. If you could say it this way, he was in the school of life. God had something going on and he was teaching him a lesson. God was teaching him the greatest lesson possible. And that is your life is short and it's going to end soon. And you need Jesus Christ. As a result of that, Ironheim Jetson came to know Jesus Christ as a savior. You know, as I think about that, I just think about our lives we all in some sense are in the school of life and god wants us to know that life is short you might think you have a long time especially if you're a young person you might think my life will go on for you don't know that first of all and secondly the lesson jesus wants us to know and learn is that we need to trust jesus the title of my message here this morning is jesus takes his disciples to school that's what we see in mark chapter 6 In fact, actually, if you look through the Gospels, it tells the story of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. But also it talks about the account of Jesus training his disciples. In fact, if you look back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls some of his disciples. And then if you continue on, you can see that he appoints them in chapter 3 to be apostles. And these were just common guys. They weren't rabbis. They weren't super duper smart. They were just normal Jewish men of the first century. Some were fishermen. One was a tax collector. One was a former religious extremist. And, but now they were following Christ. In fact, actually, if you think about it, these guys were, were fearful and they were spiritually kind of clumsy men. They failed a lot of tests, right? We saw that back in chapter number four. I mean, they're on the sea and they actually yell at Jesus. Oops. Like you failed that one, right? They failed the spiritual test of faith. And Jesus asked them questions and they're ignorant. And they go, oh, I don't know the answer to that. Or maybe they, they say something and it's like, oh, well, you got one answer right here. We'll see that in a couple chapters. But something changes. Because in the book of Acts, the church is actually devoted to the apostles' teaching. Something changes. These men are now passionate, bold, and knowledgeable in the scriptures. And so... What was it? What changed for these guys? What happened? Well, they went to school for three years. I'm going to call it kind of tongue in cheek. that It's the Jesus school for life and ministry. If you're a disciple, in some sense, you're in that school. Jesus is teaching you. He's training you. He's preparing you. And for a little more than three years, that's what these guys 
were involved in. In fact, look back in chapter 3 real quick before we go to Mark chapter 6. If you look at Mark 3, 14, the disciples are following him. There's a crowd, but he actually picks out 12, and he appoints them as apostles. If you remember this from a few weeks ago, Mark 3, 14 says, And he appointed 12 whom he named apostles, so they might be with him, number one, and he might send them out to preach. If you remember, I said that Jesus did two things with these guys. He just had them live life with him, and then he sent them out. And so when Jesus taught, they listened. So they just were with him. When Jesus healed, they saw it. When Jesus uh, taught parables, he explained them. Jesus tested them, and they failed sometimes. And now in Mark chapter 6, we see a transition from them just being with Jesus to now Jesus is going to send them out. So you might say the second part of their appointment as apostles, they're going to go out with the gospel of Jesus. They're going to preach repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus takes his disciples to school in Mark chapter 6. And so I want you to kind of see this. If you go to Mark chapter 6, we want to observe, I want you to observe in Mark 6, 1 through 6, that Jesus teaches them by his own example. Then you'll see in Mark 7 through 13 that Jesus taught them by sending them out on their own. And then in Mark 14 through verse 29, Jesus teaches them by means of an illustration. That's the real life illustration of John the Baptist who died for his faith in Christ. And so the next two weeks here, we're going we're gonna to look at the three courses that Jesus taught in the School of Life and Ministry. So let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of dive into this. Let's pray. Father, we come asking that you'll pour out your spirit upon us. We would like you, God, we ask of you to shine the light of the glory of Jesus Christ into our hearts. And I pray your Holy Spirit will illumine our minds. Help us to see the truth. Our hearts can can be deceptive. Our hearts can be blind to our own sin and our own ways and and, and even blind to you. And so, God, as, as believers in here, we want to know the truth. We want to follow you by faith. And, God, I just pray for anyone in here who has not made that step of following Christ. I pray that they'll come to Christ today in repentance and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. What was your favorite subject when you went to school? Did you have one? Science? Oh, recess. That's norms. Probably lunch as well. Mine was History. In science and recess and lunch. Yes, that's true. But in Jesus, school for life and ministry, Jesus taught some subjects. So we're going to look at subject number one today. If you have a bulletin, you can uh, follow the outline in there. We're actually only going to go through the first point today. Sorry about that. But So first class, first course, hardship 101. Learn to endure hardships. The disciples were taught to endure the hardship of life and ministry. And last week in, Mar- in Mark chapter 5, we saw them in Capernaum. That was really the last time that they're going to have that be their home base. Now they're moving and spreading out around Galilee and moving towards Jerusalem for the end of Christ's life and then his resurrection. But look down at Mark chapter 1. We see Jesus going back to his hometown in Nazareth. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6 verse 1. So Mark chapter 6, verse 1 says, And he, that's Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, that's Nazareth, and his disciples 
followed him. Let me pause right there and notice this. The disciples were not forced or coerced to follow him, to be with him. Notice there that he went away and they came. Discipleship is always voluntary. And I think this is you know, worthy to, to pause here and take note that the call to follow Christ wasn't just a one-time decision and they were done. It was a daily decision to go where Jesus wanted them to go. And sometimes as, as Christians, people can think, as Christians can think, well, I, I prayed a prayer once and now I'm a Christian. Or I, I had some intense, passionate moment, I'm a Christian. And definitely can start that way, okay? But it's actually faith in Jesus Christ is a daily choice to keep following him. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So just as you receive Christ is the same thing you're supposed to do every day of your life. Keep following him by faith. And so you see that with the disciples here, Jesus goes and they actually follow him and they actually follow him to Nazareth. We're going to find out in a moment, a place they were probably wondering, why would Jesus want to go back here? Look at verse number two. And on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not these his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And so in this first course, Jesus taught here, he taught the disciples to endure. Now you might think, well, where did you get that from? Where do you see that there? Well, going back to Nazareth was a very difficult decision for Jesus or would have been. He'd already been rejected. Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. If I'm not, you guys signal me in the back. He'd already been rejected by his own family in his own hometown. Remember, Nazareth was about 500 individuals. It was a very small town. It's the kind of town where everybody knows everything about everyone in the town. And if you remember in Nazareth, 30 years before this, Mary became pregnant of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle of God. So you remember that. And then her and Joseph, or actually it was back up a little bit. Remember the story that Joseph didn't believe her. So people thought she was unfaithful. He was considering how he would maybe divorce her. They were engaged, so they had to go through it at that time in a divorce in order to break off the engagement. And the angel appears and said, no, this is a miracle. It's of the Holy Spirit. You know, keep uh, going down the path you're going with Mary. And then they go to Bethlehem and they go to Egypt. And they, at some point, come back to Nazareth there. Okay, so that's kind of the full circle. But you think about it, 30 years ago, and then for the past number of years, this rumor had to persist. In other words, people around there would have known, like, Jesus would have had some kind of mark on him to be like, that's the guy that, you know, 30 years ago, we heard the rumors. And so think about that. That was already something that was going on. But his family has been living here now in Nazareth. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 3. I kind of just like, I feel like I'm not on. I am on. Okay, well, there you go, I guess. There you go. Mark chapter 3. Look at verse uh, 3. It lists Mar- Mary and his brothers. You notice he has four brothers there. He has at least two sisters there. And then where's Joseph at in that verse? You see him in there? 
So most scholars believe that he's probably passed by this time. He's probably passed away, and so he's nowhere to be found in the rest of the New Testament there. And so most people believe that. And if you go to Matthew, you can see that Joseph was a carpenter. And then actually Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says Jesus was a carpenter. So that's how they recognized him. And the word carpenter actually means builder or uh, craftsman. And so a lot of times people look at that and they automatically assume that he worked with wood. And so you kind of see the pictures of Jesus with wood and he's carving something, you know, with a little doll or something. I don't know, you know. But actually that word just means craftsman or builder, which likely it probably meant it was he could have worked with wood. But maybe even more than that, he might have actually worked with stone. If you go over to the Middle East, there's not a lot of wood, you know. And so you might have worked with wood as well, but you probably worked with stone because that's what most of the homes are made out of. So it's kind of a neat picture if you think about it. Jesus is a builder for 30 years, you know. He was trained to build. And then for three years, he built his disciples spiritually, built them up. And he rose again, and now he's in heaven. What's he doing? He's building his church. So that's kind of a neat thing to think about. But, but imagine what would have been like for Jesus at the age of 30 years old to have this profession. If his father has passed away, he's the leader of the home. And he goes to the famous John the Baptist, is baptized by him. And then he decides, Jesus decides to be a rabbi. You got to think this probably irks his family a little bit. In fact, we see that here in verse number two. Look at verse two. Where did this man get these things? They're kind of like, what? What's going on? You're a rabbi? What is the wisdom given? We know you. We grew up with you, Jesus. How are such mighty works done at his hands? Is this not the carpenter? He's an ordinary guy. We saw him all these years. His dad was with us. The son of Mary, the brother, and he goes through his brothers and sisters there. And his siblings in the small town of Nazareth here were astonished that a normal kid they grew up with was going around and acting like a rabbi. And if you remember his family, look down in Mark chapter 3, flip back to a page or two in your Bible, and you can see his family went down to Capernaum already to try to seize him and bring him back, Mark 3, 21. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him for their saying, he is out of his mind. So his family has already taken a pretty aggressive step to bring Jesus back, to kind of correct some things. People thought he was crazy. Some said he was demon-possessed. Obviously, some people in the town believe those rumors. They're trying to... To, to fix this, and then Jesus goes back to Nazareth. In fact, go in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be turning a lot here today, so go to Luke chapter 4. The next book over, Mark, Luke. This is the first account of Jesus going into Nazareth. So at the beginning of his ministry, he went to Nazareth. This is what he did in Mark chapter 4, verse 16. So it's, it's, if you consider this passage, it's shocking to consider that he went back. So Mark, Luke, six, uh, Luke 4, 16 says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written in Isaiah 61, 1 uh, through 2, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so Jesus is reading as if this is talking about himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, that is God, has anointed me. That's the Messiah. Anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives in recovering the sight of the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's telling all the people he grew up with, I'm the Messiah. He declared this, saying, I am preaching the good news. The spirit of, the, of God is on me, and I am announcing, proclaiming the year of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. I mean, think about how shocking that would be. I mean, think about if, if someone in here stood up, and they were, you know, a young person, and they said, I'm going to be the president of the United States. Especially if it's one of those kids, you're like, you're never going to be anything. Now, we don't, probably don't want to get in the president of the United States right now, do we? Okay, so let's keep moving on. But look at verse 29. They rose up, drove him out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. They try to kill him. And, but he said, the Bible says in verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. So Jesus miraculously escaped there. Jesus' family in town rejected him, and they tried to kill him. Just think about this. Think of the hardship of rejection. Jesus went back to the town that tried to kill him, the people with whom he grew up. I was reading, as I was reading through this part of the biography this week of, of Adoniram Judson, and he became a believer, and his family was really happy. And he actually went to seminary. Did very well there, obviously. He was pretty intelligent. And he came back for Christmas break, as many students do, and he sat down with his family, and everyone seemed to be pretty excited about something. And he didn't know what it was. It was some kind of secret he could tell in the family. So they sat down for dinner, and his dad, back at this time, this is kind of what their family did. His dad was a pastor, too. His dad had his big Bible and set it there, you know, and they would read the scriptures and pray and eat dinner together. And he felt like throughout something was, being, was going on. Well, he had already decided in his heart, that God was moving for him to be a missionary to Burma, which at that time was 100% Buddhist. And at that time was just, uh, no, no missionaries, first of all, had gone out of America. Britain was doing that. England was doing that. But America was not sending out missionaries to other countries. And Burma was a desolate tribal place. Most Europeans that went there died because of a disease or were killed. So, so he had decided this. He'd read some, you know, there's a story behind it, but he read some things and just felt like the Lord was impressing upon him to go to a people who needed Christ, who had never heard the gospel. So he just had a burden for these people and desire to see them reach for Christ. And so his dad says, well, you probably know something's going on and we want to tell you, you actually have been offered a pastoral position at Park Street Church in Boston, Massachusetts, the largest church in Boston, and one of the most, uh, prominent churches in America. And everyone was so happy for him. They're all, yeah, it's so great. You're going to be near us. I mean, you got to like, get the wife and the kids. It's going to be such a wonderful life. And I mean, doesn't that sound pretty good? Honestly, he was basically told you can have the American dream as a pastor. Like, it sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? And he put his head down. He said, actually, no. Actually, God's called me to be a missionary to, to Burma. His mom started bawling. His dad started arguing with them. And his sister ran out of the house. 
And it didn't stop on that day. They kept persisting. Like, why are you throwing your life away? Like, people die there. Like, why would you want to go to that? And I would say it this way. He faced some rejection from his family by doing what he felt like God wanted him to do to, to reach people for Christ in that part of, the, part of the world. In fact, he even went before a church once and told about what he wanted to do. And people kind of gasped. Like, <gasps> and some people even kind of snickered. Like, why would you want to do something like that? I mean, here's a very intelligent guy. People, in fact, actually, when he was in a, on the boat going over to Burma, they stopped in India, and one of their friends' wife passed away with their baby on the trip, and it was very sad and depressing, and, and they were about to take a boat to go to Burma, and someone said, don't do it. You're throwing your life away. Just go back to England, set up a mission house there. You can have a nice life. You can have a good... And he went ahead and went on to Burma. I think the hard thing is when you face rejection... When you have people that keep throwing things at you, being like, oh, that's terrible. You're going to throw your life away, you know? And people even reject you. That's hard, isn't it? Like, can, you, can you notice that's what's happening with Jesus here? The people he spent the majority of his life on earth with are rejecting him and trying to actually kill him. That's probably the worst rejection you can have, people, your family doing that to you. But that's what we see here in Mark chapter 6. So go back to Mark chapter 6. Jesus decided to go back to Nazareth. Why? Think about it. Why did he want to go back to Nazareth? Well, I think one reason is he wanted to continue to give the gospel to them. I mean, he knew that at some point his brothers would come to faith in Christ. After his resurrection, they actually became leaders in the church. So you can see him going back just kind of with that passion, that heart. I think this may be a lesson for us. Those people who reject you, don't give up on them. Like his Family, Adonai and Judson's family, actually, in the end of the day, supported him and loved him and, as he went out. But, and, and, and Jesus' family did the same thing at some point in the future. So don't give up. Give much grace. But I think also he went back to Nazareth to teach a lesson to his disciples. You remember, he's teaching them. He's training them. And he wanted to teach them by his own example that, that in ministry and in life, some people will misrepresent you. Some people will, will misunderstand you. And some people will actually flat out just reject you for your walk with the Lord. So Jesus taught in his hometown here. He taught the scriptures. Mark chapter 6, verse 1, you can see he went to the synagogue again. He preaches the scriptures. But instead of having an open mind to the word, they reject him. They willfully misunderstand. You can see that in verse 3. We won't read through it again, but you notice the questions they have there. You know, where did you get this stuff? Where did you get this wisdom? Well, he actually answered it when he read before in the synagogue. Out of Isaiah chapter 61, he said, the spirit of God is upon me. Where did you get that wisdom from? The spirit of God is upon me. Like, how are you able to do these mighty works? Because I'm doing them by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm the Messiah. And some of them had believed the rumors that it was, oh, it was under the power of demons that he was doing this kind of stuff. And they rejected Jesus. It took, verse 4 says, offense at him. Then verse 5 says he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Verse 6, and he, mar- he marveled because of their unbelief. I don't think it means that he was unable, unable to do works there. I think it, it's talking about the fact that he chose not to. This is a form of judgment upon them. In other words, Jesus did do some mighty works there, okay? But he didn't do some amazing mighty works because they chose not to believe in him. And so you see here, Jesus, in some sense, is... is, is um, is judging them for their sin by saying, I'm not going to, to do many mighty works in this place because they rejected him. Why? Because they were unbelieving. They, did, they chose not to place their faith in Jesus Christ 
and his person and his work. This, this rejection must have stung at the heart of Jesus, his family, and his friends. This lesson was one Jesus wanted his disciples to see, I think, lived out. Why? Because in the next few verses, verse 7 through verse 13, he's going to send them out. And what's going to happen when they get sent out? They're going to be rejected. In fact, look down in verse number uh, 7. The, script, the scriptures say that he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on no more than two tunics. So just one tunic. Verse 10, and he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place, listen to this, will not receive you. In other words, you face the hardship of rejection and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The ministry of the disciples was not going to be all rosy and wonderful. They would be rejected. In fact, what does he say in verse 11? You should do if you're rejected. He said they were to take their shoes and shake off the dust. What's that talking about? Well, when a Jewish person would go to a Gentile land, when they would come back into Jewish territory, they would shake off their garments and their shoes and the dust would kind of fall off. And the idea was symbolically that, well, this was an unclean part of the world, the country, and we're now coming to Jewish territory, which is clean. So we're going to get the unclean dirt off of us. Kind of silly. But Jesus actually wants them to do this as an illustration. So you don't have to turn there, but if you go to Acts chapter 13, Barnabas and Paul, they preach the gospel. The Jewish people, many of them reject Jesus. So he goes to the Gentiles, many of them accept Jesus. And as Barnabas and Saul or Paul are walking out of the city, the Jews, the Bible says in verse uh, chapter 13, verse 50, the Jews incited the devout, devout women of high standing and leading men of the city stirred them up in persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they drove them out of their district. And listen to verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. So what you see here is symbolically Paul and Barnabas are shaking the dust out of their clothes and of their shoes. And what they're saying is this. You Jews rejected us and it's like you're far from God. It's like you're Gentiles. In other words, we came and gave you the gospel. And just like you go to other places and other parts of the world, then you say, well, those are Gentiles. They're unclean. You're actually the ones that are unclean. So what you're seeing here is Jesus is saying, when you get rejected, because they're going to the lost house of Israel, they're going to the Jewish people. When you're rejected by the Jewish people, let them know that actually they're rejecting God and they still remain in their sins. They're still unclean. In fact, go with me to Matthew chapter 10. I told you we're going to be flipping around here. So Matthew chapter 10 is actually a parallel passage to this. And Jesus explains in Mark in Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, he explains in more detail about the type of rejection they would face. Of course, Matthew was one of the disciples. He was sitting there listening to Jesus before Jesus commissioned them to go out for this little training exercise. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, listened to what Jesus says will happen to them when they go out with the gospel. Remember, Jesus is preparing them not just for that moment, but also for the future when he 
is ascended to heaven. Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, Jesus is speaking, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of the father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother to death. Now, listen. Notice that right there. Jesus is giving this, teaching this, and that just happened. <laughs> or like they tried to happen. Like his, his family, his town, tried to deliver him to death. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother to death. Father, his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next and we'll stop right there but you can kind of see how jesus prepares them to go on this little missions trip now next week we're going to talk about going to haiti and when we go to haiti we're going to try to keep you as safe as possible i've taken trips down to honduras with teenagers there's nothing like taking a parent's most precious possession of a young person to a third world country (laughs) especially when a lot of teens like to have fun and do Stupid things, and that's not something you should probably do in a third world country uh, for safety reasons. But it's interesting, you think about this, we will definitely try to keep you safe, and any teens that come, we'll try to keep them safe. But Jesus actually promises the exact opposite for them. You're going to go on a missions trip, and actually, you're going to be hated. Jesus did not promise safety. He promised that they would face a life in a ministry that is very difficult. He's serving the Lord it takes sacrifice. It takes faith. It takes great difficulty. Like if we want to have the gospel go out, it's not going to be a walk in the park. It's difficult. It takes sacrifice. We were, I was teaching this morning about the, the early church, and they sold their possessions. They gave it to the church. I mean, that's sacrifice. Look at verse 22 of, of Matthew 10. He says, you will be hated. Wow, let's sign up for that. You'll be hated, but listen, the next part, by all for my name's sake. That's the reason you're doing it. That's the reason you're going out with the gospel for Jesus Christ. And then what does he say? The one who endures to the end will be saved. The lesson of hardship is to keep trusting the Lord. To keep enduring for his name's sake. Real ministry in real life is not easy. Jesus never promised an easy path, but he promised to be with you all the way. He promised to go with you. The spirit of the father will be with you. And he promised a better life to come. He promised a better life to come. Some of us in here, some of you in here, maybe are facing some tremendous temptation or or trials and difficulty. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that's overtaking you, but that which is common to man. In other words, the things you're going through, the things that seem like overwhelming, maybe even rejection, actually, it's a common thing. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, 
He will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. Like God is working, actually. And so what does he want you to do? Keep trusting him. And he says at the end of that verse, that you may be able to endure it. The work he's doing in you is actually a work to help you to endure, to keep following him, to keep trusting him, to keep allowing him to work and do his work in your life. Peter learned this lesson. I mean, think about it. Peter's there being trained by Jesus, and he was in the school of life and ministry. He actually failed his final exam. Remember that? You know, Jesus is taken away, and he's being beaten, and actually Peter's watching it happen. And someone asks him, do you know that guy? And he three times denies it, actually swears, and he got an F. But he comes back after the resurrection, gets back up, he keeps trusting and he keeps following the Lord. And he learned these lessons. And so he actually wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 about his lessons. So let's flip there too. Okay, I told you we're going to be everywhere. So go to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is really interesting to think about the fact that Peter experienced the training of the Lord and an in, in example of the Lord. And then Peter trusted the Lord and endured and followed him. He actually learned his lessons in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Peter writes, honor everyone. So he's writing to churches who are under persecution from Rome. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the really good emperors. Is that what it says? No, honor the emperor, which at that time was Nero, which is interesting to think about because he was uh, potentially the, the um, emperor that killed him was Nero. Church historians tell us that. So he's telling people to honor the emperor who's in a couple months or years going to kill him. And so verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So, so let me ask this. Like, how's your job going? You know, are you, are you facing the difficulty of a boss and coworkers who are getting on your nerves? Or maybe giving you a hard time because you're, a Christian? Maybe how's your uh, government going? <laughs> you know, are you, are you uh, trusting the, that all that's in the Lord's hands? What's, what's the lesson here is to keep enduring? Because look at verse 19. Peter writes, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one does what? One endures and keeps trusting and following the Lord. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So in other words, you're, you're enduring because you're, being, you're facing suffering as a result of your gospel witness. Now, verse 20 says, for what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? In other words, if you act dumb and you sin, I'm sorry, that's upon you. And you're going to face the consequence for your sin. Don't blame God for that. But if you're truly following the Lord, then what does he say to do? In verse 20, he says, he continues to say, but if when you do good and you suffer for it, and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. For to this you have been called. Called to what? To endure. Like you're going to face hardship, endure, because Christ suffered for you. He left you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Isn't that great? He's going back to his training with Jesus. says, you know, I remember this training. (laughs) Jesus showed me what it was like to endure. And any life 
and ministry live for the glory of God will face difficulties. And our hearts, in, in times when we have difficulties, they naturally want to escape. And that's, that longing, that desire isn't bad. Because what's that desire show us? That we want to escape this life. There's something better God has for us in the future. The Lord has the glory of his presence. But friends, let me, let me say it this way. Listen to the lesson of Jesus here in Mark chapter 6. The lesson of, of hardship is that you will face times when people misunderstand you and misrepresent you and maybe even reject you. And sometimes, honestly, the most difficult rejection is that when it's the pressure of family, isn't it? And Jesus faced that. So what's the answer? What's the, what's the master teacher teach us? He says to endure. Look down in verse 22. Notice his example. Jesus endured with faith in the one who is in control of all things. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He continued trusting himself to entrusting himself to him. That's his father who judges justly. He trusted the father's plan. God, you're in charge. And he trusted his father. He had faith in the one, his father, who was in control of all things. Also look at the next verse there. He endured with love and sacrifice for those who needed his sacrifice. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Why did Jesus die on the cross? It was for the glory of God and for your good. It was to, it was to redeem you from your sins, to forgive you for your sins. He died and rose again. And he did it because he loves you. Like when he was enduring, he did it for God's glory, but he did it because he loved you. So as we go through difficulty, let's endure with love for those who need Christ. And then verse 25, let's endure. Endure with hope of the future God has for us. Verse 25, for you were strained like sheep. Have a little empathy. Like you were, you were like the people out there that are rejecting you. That was you at one time. You were far from God. You had that type of heart. But what happened? You were redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it says, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Remember your shepherd. He's, he's guiding. He's leading you. And he's leading you to a better place than you're at now. Definitely a better place he has for us in eternity. It's an eternal perspective. So we endure with faith and, and love and hope in God. One of the things that's neat about reading these biographies, I love reading missionary biographies, and one of the things that's neat about it is seeing real life applied. The scripture is applied, I should say, in real life. And what does me tell you a little bit more about Adonai Judson? Because this kind of made my mind go through his life story. He married Anne, and at age 24, they took off to Burma, Rangoon. They arrived there on July 13, 1813, and that began a lifelong trial of difficulty. They lived in 108-degree weather with humidity. We have 108 sometimes, right? But I don't think it has the humidity they have over there. With cholera and malaria and dysentery, Anne gave birth to three children, the first one, died of a stillbirth on the boat ride over to Burma. 
The second one was named Roger Judson, lived 17 months in a little hut in Burma. And then at 17 months, he died. They had to bury him in the back part of their property. Maria was born. She lived to be two years old. And then she died. And Anne, um, Anne died six months later. Then Judson married again. And his wife had some children. And seven of his 13 children uh, survived. And then she died. And then he had another wife as well. So there's a lot of pain they went through. Listen to this, what Anne wrote, Anne Judson wrote, his first wife, after their son Roger passed away. Anne wrote this, our hearts were bound up with this child. We felt like he was our earthly all, our only source of innocent recreation in this heathen land. But God saw it was necessary to remind us of our error, to strip us of all our own, of of our only little all. Oh, may it not be in vain that he has done it. May we so improve it that he will stay his hand and say, I am enough. That's, that's strong faith right there. In fact, I won't go through the whole story, but there was a time when he was, Judson was um, in prison, in death prison basically means you're going to die eventually in prison. He was there for 18 months, and then he was actually released. He had his translation of the uh, Burmese Bible, and he lost that. He didn't know what was going to happen. But after he was, his release, he wrote this. If I had not felt certain that every trial was ordered by an infinite loving God, I could not have survived my suffering. So here's, here's a missionary who endured, a Christian who endured with faith in God, love for people and hope in a better future. Now, how many want to sign up for that life? But God did amazing things through their life. Go back with Mark, to Mark chapter 6. And kind of wrap up with this part right here. Now you can see why I only did one, one point today. Mark chapter 6, you can see that they face the hardship of rejection. They also face the hardship of need. In Mark chapter 6, verse 8, you can see that they're not to take anything with them on this little missionary trip they had. No bread, no money. Why was that? Jesus was teaching them. What was he trying to teach them? To trust him, right? So he was teaching them, you need to trust me that I am the one that's going to provide for me, provide for you. And remember, this wasn't something that was continuous. It wasn't like when they went in their missions trips in the future. They weren't supposed to do this. This was just for a time to teach these disciples this. And then Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 20, 29, we see John the Baptist. And I think that Mark includes this in here. He kind of sandwiches this story in the middle of their being sent out on their journey. Why does he include it? I think he includes it as probably an example that Jesus used for his disciples. On the, on, the, on the Sea of Galilee there, there was Tiberias, and that was the headquarters for Herod, King Herod. And so they would have been on that sea, and they would have noticed the, the um, King Herod's palace over there. And they would have seen, or they would have heard the story of what happened to John the Baptist, and they would have connected that to what they were doing. What did, the, what did John the Baptist preach? He preached repentance, repent. What did they preach? What did it say in Mark chapter 6? Repentance. And what happened to John the Baptist? Well, King Herod was living, uh, was in a relationship with his niece, 
And he was basically in a sinful relationship. Actually, it's kind of a crazy story. I won't go through the whole thing again. But Herod encouraged his niece, Herodias, to divorce his half-brother so he could marry her. So he was a very wicked man, a lot like his father, Herod the Great. We're not going to go through that whole thing. But just to say this, I'm going to read through this story here. I want you to remember that Jesus uh, probably uses this as an illustration for his disciples, but definitely Mark wants us to remember the, the hardship that John the Baptist went through. And this is something the disciples need to remember as they go forward in the future. So they were going to, at some point, endure the worst and the best outcome. What's the worst outcome? Death. What's the best outcome? Death. Why? Because to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For me to live is Christ. So as I'm on this earth, I'm living for Christ. And to die is gain. So look down at verse 14. Just think, I'm not going to explain the story. I'm just going to read through it. Just think about the illustration of a real life illustration of John the Baptist. Verse 14, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him, speaking of Jesus. But others said, oh, he's Elijah. And others said, he is the prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has, has been raised. Verse 17, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John, bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, because he had married her. In verse 18, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, but he could, she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept, kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet heard him gladly preach on repentance. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday came and gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. He wasn't thinking straight. Obviously, lust had taken over his mind. And he went out and said to her, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and saying, I want to give you. So I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry because of what of the oaths, his guest, because of his oaths, oaths and his guest. He did not want to break his word to her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner with the orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. Just think about that picture. And when his disciples heard it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I'm not going to go into that whole story, but Mark, I think, sandwiches it in here between verse 30, which says, look at verse 30, the apostles then returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And in the Jesus school of ministry and life, hardship is a reality. And John the Baptist's life shows that. He lived a pretty difficult life and had a very difficult end, but he had something better in the future. In hardship 101, we learn to endure the hardship of life with faith and love and hope. Let me end with this little story to kind of tell you about the end of Adonai Judson's life. 
God did amazing things through his life. He translated the entire Bible into Burmese, which to this day is the Bible they use. Adoniram Judson also, because of his ministry there, result of it, there's now 3,700 congregations and 600,000, over 600,000 members and 1,900,000 affiliates. Like God used his life in a pretty amazing way. Now, can anyone, I can't think of anyone, maybe in this room, maybe there is, but anyone's had that kind of impact. That's pretty amazing to think about. Before he died, this is what he wrote. Listen to this, this is amazing. I have had such views of the loving condescension of Christ and the glories of heaven as I believe are seldom granted to mortal men. Oh, the love of Christ. It is the secret of life's inspiration, the source of heaven's bliss. Oh, the love of Christ. We cannot understand it now, but what a beautiful study of eternity. And he wrote this later on after that. The future is as bright as the promises of God. There's a man with faith in the Lord. There's a man who endured life with faith in the one who is in control, with love for those in need of Christ, with a hope that God has a better future. You know, Burma, as it's called uh, Myanmar now, is 90% Muslims, or 90% Buddhist still. So there's, there indefinitely an, there's definitely a need for Christ in there. In fact, as I was reading this this week, I was thinking, I wonder if maybe there's someone in here Maybe a young person in here, and like God would put it upon your heart to say, that's a pretty much unreached country. Maybe I could go there. Maybe I could help finish the work that Adoniram Judson started there. But no matter what, for us in here, there are difficulties we face. Life is hard, but we need to keep enduring, trusting the Lord. What did that look like for Jesus when he was on earth? What did it look like? He prayed to his father. And I think that's what it looks like for us too. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me before the Lord? I want to give you just an opportunity this morning to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. And if you're going through a difficulty right now, would you cry out to him? Brother and sister in Christ, he loves you. And the pain in your life is actually not him saying he doesn't love you. It's actually his work to draw you to himself. So God, give me the faith to endure. Give me the love to endure. Give me the hope to endure. May God give us sacrificial hearts that endure. Spirit, we need the comfort only you can give. Father, we trust in your plan for our lives. Sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we get in the fog of life and, and our faith is weak. 
God, give us a solid faith in your word, your will, in you. God, may we move forward trusting in you. Jesus, thank you for your love, for your example, for your grace. In Jesus' name.